a book entitled The Lies That Bind, Rethinking Identity, by a man called Kwame Anthony Appiah, written in 2018. So Kwame Appiah is a British Ghanaian philosopher, cultural theorist, and writer whose focus is on political and moral theory, the philosophy of language and mind, and African intellectual history. I thought mm -hmm. that was very interesting. Yeah. We need more people yeah. who focus on those things. Yeah. I'm also very happy that we have a black author. I know, true, talking yeah. about yeah, um, yeah. anthropology. Yeah. So he's currently a professor of philosophy and law at the New York University. So this book is actually a, a collection of lectures. It's not a book that was written intended to talk about identity, but it's a collection of lectures that Appiah made in London, Glasgow, Accra, and New York, all in 2016. Mm. And altogether, this book is a survey on the concept of identity, mm. which he has clustered into a chapter on each of the things that he calls the basis of modern identity. So we have creed, which is your religion. Mm. Yeah. We have country, which is your national identity, your class, your color, which is racism, and your culture. So those five things that he calls the basis of modern identity. Mm. So he asks us in this book to rethink identity, and he asks essentially, what is identities and why do they matter? And he says that the main message is that we are living with legacies of ways of thinking mm. that took their modern shape in the 19th century. So the 19th century is the beginning, the 1800s, yep. all the way to the end, the, just the beginning of the 1900s. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so at this time, we have slavery, we have World War One, World War Two, we have the Industrial Revolution, we have colonialism. But he says it's time to subject that old way of thinking, the 19th century way of thinking, to what we have now in the 21st century. And so he says, we often think that identity is this personal thing, mm -hmm. that it's about me or it is about I. Yeah. But he says, or he argues rather, that identities shape our world. They shape our struggles, they shape our hopes and dreams, and they are very social. And they're things that we share with other countless other people. Mm -hmm. And so he says that taking those five categories, he explores how identities are created by conflict, but then are crafted by confusion. And so some of the things he gives us as examples are, he says, religion isn't about beliefs primarily. He mm. says that the idea of nationalism, oh, sorry to the Christians. <laughs> he says that the idea of nationalism actually doesn't make any sense. Mm. He says that our ideas on racial thinking are based on flawed science from white people. Yeah. Wow. And he says that class is not about being upper or lower. And he says that um, we will start to see our situations as individuals clearer if we start to question these mistaken identities. And they'll begin to change how we think about ourselves, but also our communities as a whole. Wow. I think it was a fantastic, fantastic no, it book. Yeah. It had very interesting tidbits. Yeah. A, 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 good, a good book indeed. And so if identity politics and the polarization of the world trouble you, this is a book worth picking up. Mm. You will definitely get a deeper understanding of how identities form. Yeah. And what he tells us is that identity Identity is a set of labels and rules ascribed to people, mm. but they also identities, um, particularly of an ethnic nature, also emerge yeah. um, through a concept known as um, instrumentalism, mm. and that's basically where a group of people, let's say, uh, you know, let's say some of the political elite, come together and for for the sake of uh, advancing a political agenda, acquiring power they end up um, you know, bringing a whole group together, uh, and I'll use the cliche of the Kalenjin community, mm. which you know, before, and even the Luya nation, mm. as, we, as we know them today, mm. uh, before the, uh, the, the colonial era, and even during the colonial era, the ties between a lot of those sub 
um, groups yeah. in, in the Luyan nation, for example, mm. some of those communities are just completely different. They don't even share a common uh, language. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, but what the politicians have done over time is to create a common uh, homogeneous yeah. identity amongst them for the sake of showing up at the ballot, mm. getting the numbers, and for their uh, and, and you know acquiring political power yeah and and that's an example of a lie uh that has been told and that that has really stuck mm. yeah going uh, back to the title yeah going, going back to the title of the book yeah. yeah lies that bind particularly in the kenyan political context, context yes. um and, and th- that's just just something i wanted to you know bring out uh mm. something local give give a perspective a local yeah, perspective I, yeah. I think that yeah that's what i took when about how I think identities are actually constructed. They don't alike. emerge so much entirely out of a spontaneous order. But yet we're still so aligned to them. And yeah. we're very aligned yeah. to them. Yeah. But so yet again, that's a lie that... It's that, a lie that, that binds. That binds yeah. And yeah. they're telling us to, to wake up to that lie, to Precisely. that confusion, and really rethink what our identity means. Yes. Mm. So yeah. up here in one of the other chapters also explores class, mm. right? So status and wealth are usually some of the indicators of what class is, yeah. right? So I'll do a distinction quickly between status and wealth. So wealth is often private, whereas um, you know your, the, the things you acquire, the richness, what's in your account is often kept to right. yourself, mm. right? Mm. And it's even more than that. It has cultural attributes and, mm. and, and whatnot. However, the status is often linked to that ostentatious display. <coughs> it's about social hierarchy. Yeah. You're doing it to show one's peers, this is where I have reached, this is where I am. And it's something that came up sort of in the, as the industrial revolution took um, took hold. So those that were perceived as lower working class, so you didn't own land, um, so you applied sort of your labor yeah. and your work and to gain man, uh, to gain money, and so it created this new social class called the nouveau riche mm. or the mm. newly rich, right? And they um, built their fortunes and started to gain access into the elite club. Mm-hmm. So what was normally left for the lords and the barons yeah. and whatnot, now suddenly I could gain access into. Mm. And they didn't just want wealth, they then also wanted status. And so this modern day, now when we come into the shift, there's this discrete wealth which is replacing visible displays of mm. money yeah. so as a new status symbol. Yeah. And they're calling it, or he calls it sort of this aspirational class. Mm-hmm. And this aspirational class focuses on building knowledge, um, uh, cultural capital, mm. um, and instead of investing in just material items, so the big boats and the big mansions mm. and whatever, the new elite are investing in education and health, yeah. and they're helping them gain the social the social status, the access to that social status. Mm. And so they're not just saying we have it; we're, we're mm. owning it. We're yeah. owning those things that you guys want. Mm-hmm. We, we own them, right? And then he talks about um, how poverty, real poverty, is basically about social isolation, but also the material deprivation. So the reason why you can be upper class and yeah. still poor yeah. is because you have yeah. friends, yeah, you have money, so you benefit from the, the money in their pockets and mm. the networks that they have. And so that's why you can find some upper class people mm. who mm-hmm. really aren't not a cent, not a cent <laughs> in their pockets, right? And then he discusses something really interesting on meritocracy. So meritocracy arose as a system intended to crush the class system mm. so yeah. that you became wealthy of your own right through hard work through talent Mm. Um, and it's not just because of where you were born not your birthright however 
what dismantles this is inheritance. Mm. So the success that many hand down to you the know kids, the yeah. kids mm. sort of dismantles mm. that. So yeah. you're still finding that mm. there are people who are talentless, mm. um, but have this step up in life, yeah. right? And he says there's little incentive to change that such system. a system, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I found that very interesting. Yeah. 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 Great book. Yeah. You're very good. A lot book. of food for thought on that. Yeah. Appiah teaches us that identities come first with labels and ideas about why and to whom they should be applied. Second, your identity shapes how you should behave. And third, it affects how other people treat you. So we've seen like when you're talking about ethnicities, dominant identities can mean that people will treat you as an authority. So some are identified as being the ones who know how to do this and this and this. However, they're subordinate identities. And these can mean that your your interests are sort of ignored or abused. You're seen as a lesser. Um, You're not in that group. Of, of dominant, right? However, we must continue, and what he asks us to do is to challenge these assumptions that mm. lead to the unequal distribution mm. of power. 